Hi, hello, what is up? How's it going? My name is Jada and welcome back to Girl You Haven't Heard, a black history and true crime podcast where we discuss things from a critical decolonial perspective and of course above all else without all of the unnecessary copaganda. Until the end of this month, um, I will be posting a podcast episode every single day. And if you are a patron, you get early access. You will get a couple bonus episodes and you'll get to know what's going on before everybody else. So it's really exclusive and a fun little thing that you can do. And my Patreon subscriptions begin at $5 a month and go up from there. So if you like the podcast, you like the work that gets done here, um, or you just want early access because you don't like to wait and you're impatient like me, then you should definitely click the link in the description and go ahead and become a patron. Today we will be discussing the IIU, um, or the Independent Investigation Unit of Manitoba. Um, And this is a very, I want to call it controversial, but not really that controversial because it's clear to everyone around that the IIU doesn't really work. Uh, But we're going to get into it. So the IIU is the, like I said before, the Independent Investigation Unit of Manitoba. Uh, and it became operational on June 18th, 2015, and it is the only body responsible for quote-unquote serious crimes involving police officers, whether they are on duty or off duty. Now, the team itself has eight investigators, two team commanders, and one director of investigations. Now, folks who work with the IIU are technically peace officers with the powers, duties, privileges, and protections of a peace officer anywhere. So when I was doing my research, like to get everything together, like my notes to make this segment, I just looked up Manitoba IIU and the first two stories were Manitoba police watchdog calls off investigation into alleged assault by four RCMP officers and man shot by Winnipeg police in 2020 wasn't carrying a weapon, but no charges for officers IIU. So I feel like that gives a pretty accurate description and a pretty honest insight into what they do and how they handle their responsibilities. Um, They basically act like an arm or an extension of police services that they are responsible for investigating. And oftentimes they act like the police themselves because most of them are police, like they were previously police. Like while people who are employed by the IIU cannot technically be current police officers, they can be former officers, they can have close relatives or partners who are current or officers. So it's basically just ex-cops or pro-police people responsible for the prosecution of their own people, which is a flawed concept from the start, right? Like you can't have old police or previous police or people related to police police the police, like not going to work. So Zane Tesler is the current civilian director of the IIU and he took on this position in March of 2013 and has been in that role ever since. So it's been a minute. Um, He became a lawyer in 1980 and he was a defense lawyer for 18 years and then he switched sides and became a prosecuting attorney in 1998. So he worked very closely with police Um, so kind of makes it questionable for him to be in this role in my personal opinion. So how does the IIU work exactly? So a police chief actually has to refer their own officer or officers to the IIU for investigation. Um, the IIU doesn't really pry and investigate where they aren't welcomed. 
in when it comes to other officers unless it involves a death or serious injury and then the IIU is automatically involved but how involved they are is up to their own discretion. So the chief is supposed to notify the IIU when an officer is at the scene of a wrongdoing or if they have received a complaint um, that their officer has been involved in doing something wrong, such as causing death, serious injury, or they are engaged in other illegal activities. Um, IIU investigative teams are able to be launched whenever, wherever, and they make it seem as if they are available 24 hours a day, but they are often called to scenes or informed of things like far after they truly happen. So while they don't need to be available constantly, they claim that they are, uh, but I don't really know if they actually work around the clock like that. The civilian director is responsible for looking over the details of the referral for whatever the chief has sent to them, and they ultimately have the final say on everything. Like, they get to decide whether an investigative team should look into things or not. Um, the team is responsible for examining the scene, is securing evidence, documenting the scene, identifying and securing cooperation of witnesses, seizing equipment for forensic examination, consulting medical examiner if someone has died, and notifying next of kin. After they finish their investigation, the primary investigator gives the report to the director, and the director then determines whether an officer committed an offense or not, and decides whether he should lay charges himself or refer it to provincial prosecutors to charge the person themselves or to give opinions on whether charges should be laid. So ultimately, everything is in his hands, uh, and that is really nerve-wracking, and I don't think it's a much... I don't think it's a smart way to try and hold anyone accountable to just have one person responsible in those major decisions. So now we're just going to get into some of the weird things about their responsibilities or things that stood out to me and felt important to mention. Um, so under Section 74 of the Police Services Act, the IIU doesn't have, have to lead investigations themselves they can simply just monitor an investigation that's being led by the police service in which the person who was being investigated came from so for example say someone at the winnipeg police service beat someone up because that's something that they regularly do and the iiu is notified of it and they choose to not investigate themselves they can just watch the winnipeg police service investigate their own officer which is doesn't make any sense to me uh, like, why are you there then? But police officers who are at the center of the investigation are not obligated to be interviewed by the IIU and they don't have to submit their notes about the situation either. They claim that this is because when an officer is investigated, they are given the same rights as anyone else under protection, as anyone else, sorry, under the law to protection from self-incrimination. But like, if the IIU is responsible for making witnesses participate and cooperate, and someone has died, most oftentimes the most important living witness to hear from would be the police officer to see if things kind of align, which often they don't, uh, with what other witnesses have seen and have talked about. The IIU does not accept complaints from the public, which in and of itself is problematic, I feel, because oftentimes, like a lot of the things police officers do, it's not going to 
be reported to their bosses to then be reported to the IIU. I personally feel like if you have a so-called independent unit, then they should be able to take public complaints. But the IIU independently determine what information is released to the public and what isn't. Uh, they are able to do this under the guise of maintaining integrity of investigation. They protect uh, witness confidenti confidentiality and protect personal privacy as well. Under this kind of grouping, they are also not required to release a final report at the end of their investigation, but they can wait until pending charges are laid or dismissed. Most of the time they're dismissed. Uh, for up to a year if there is an outstanding warrant and the person is not in police custody. I kind of briefly mentioned this before, but I just wanted to circle back to it that it, there's one civilian director who makes all of the final decisions. Like, they have the final say on everything. They determine whether teams are dispatched to investigate, if they're not to investigate, what charges get laid, all of those type of things. So... This civilian director can personally lay charges against an officer or they can refer the case to the Crown to give their opinion on whether charges should be filed or not, which is more often than not what they do. Um, if the director says that no charges should be filed, then they kind of let everyone know and everyone just has to drop it. And the civilian director has to be someone who is not a current or former member of any police services or RCMP or anything like that. Um... And But the investigators with the IIU can be current or former police officers of anywhere across Canada, and they can be involved in like the RCMP, things like that. They're allowed to work for other police services and also work for the IIU, which seems like a big conflict of interest to me. But even if they are the police, they aren't required to answer to anyone but the civilian director. Like their own bosses, if they're working for the IIU, they don't have to answer to them. Uh, the IIU only has to release names if charges are laid. So they essentially don't have to release any names or very few names because laid charges are a part of public record. So that would kind of be out of their control. Um, but I'm sure if it were up to them, they wouldn't release names at all, whether the people get charged or they don't get charged. This I thought was weird and I didn't like it. Like cops have to refer cases to the IIU and they are responsible for calling them. Uh, this doesn't always happen immediately and too often events are shared with the IIU months after they happen. And while this is frowned upon, um, is what they say it's frowned upon, but I don't really think it's frowned upon. I think it's just common standard practice at this point. Um, they are legally able to wait to report things um, because they are only required to report as soon as practical. So that can mean anything. It's really up to their own discretion, right? Like the cops are given a lot of leeway in this process with the IIU. So it's just like all of these weird things are just reasons why the IIU is not effective, basically. But now we're going to just get into some of the stats, like the breakdowns of the IIU stats from 2020, 2021, like that full year. So... In this year, they received 54 notifications. Of the 54 notifications, 39 uh, were unit-led investigations. Five were investigations led by police, like the police services that they were investigating, and monitored by the IIU. 
and the remaining they claimed didn't require their involvement so they were just kind of like dismissed out of these 54 notifications 16 involved serious injury five involved sexual assault and seven involved the death of another person so 15% involved the death, 30% involved serious injuries, and 11% were officer-involved shootings. Now, the charges that were laid in 2020 to 2021 were two counts of assault under Section 266 of the Criminal Code. So this was just basically there was an on-duty RCMP officer who was charged with both counts of assault. Um, this happened during an arrest and they claim no serious injuries were sustained by the person who was arrested, but how could that possibly be true if two counts of assaults were laid? Like if two charges were laid on this one officer, how could that be true? The next charges laid were three counts of dangerous operation causing bodily harm, which is under section 230.13 of the criminal code and two counts of publication of an intimate image without consent under section 162 of the criminal code uh, and it doesn't say there's no information really about what this was or what it pertained to except that it happened in 2019 and it was an officer from manitoba first nations police service now three counts of driving dangerously causing bodily harm under section 320.13 of the criminal code were filed against a winnipeg police officer who was charged and held responsible for a car accident in his in, while he was driving like his police car where six people were injured um, but no one was allegedly seriously injured though and this incident occurred on july 13th of 2019 the next charge was one count of voyeurism, which is in under Section 62 of the Criminal Code, and it was a Brandon Police Service officer charged, um, and the incident occurred in 2019. There was one count of perjury placed under Section 131 of the Criminal Code, and it was an RCMP officer who was charged. This happened in 2019, and all it says is that it involved an officer lying in a provincial court. Um, there was one count of fraud under section 380 of the criminal code that was laid and it was an officer who was on long-term long disability and was charged with fraud over $5,000. That's kind of all the information that's out there. Uh, the next charge was two counts of sexual assault under section 271 of the criminal code and two counts of sexual interference under section 151 of the criminal code so all it says is that an rcmp officer was charged with both and the incident occurred in 2020. there was another count of being unlawfully in a dwelling house under section 341 of the criminal code and it was a manitoba first nations police officer who went into a home they allegedly should not have been in when trying to find a suspect and it happened in 2018 but was only reported two years later in 2020. there was a count of mischief or a final count of mischief under section 430 of the criminal code that was laid and it was as well as one count of breach undertaking under section 127 of the criminal code 
This was again a Manitoba First Nations police off police service officer who was charged and the incident occurred in 2020 and it involved domestic assault which is unfortunately very common for police officers so out of all of these final charges and notifications and everything like where did all of it come from so 52 percent of reportings came from the rcmp 15 cases from RCMP West, 3 from RCMP East, and 10 from RCMP North. 31% came from the WPS, the Winnipeg Police Service. Um, 4% came from the Manitoba First Nations Police Service. 9% from the Brandon Police Service. 2% from Morden Police Service. And another 2% from Rivers Police Service. They monitored two of the RCMP and WPS cases, as well as one of the BPS cases. And they declined to investigate seven of the RCMP cases, one of the WPS, BPS, and Rivers cases. They were responsible for um, 19 of the RCMP cases, 14 of the WPS cases, three of the BPS cases, two of the MFNP cases, and one of the Morden cases. The only places in which they investigated all of the cases that were referred to them were the Manitoba First Nations Police Service and the Morden Police Service. So all of those charges that I mentioned before, we kind of went through what they were and what they entailed. Only nine people were charged that year, like 2020 to 2021, and three of them were from Manitoba First Nations Police Service, which in and of itself is so telling, right? Like all police are terrible. This is not up for debate. It's not for argument like they're bad. Uh, But it's very clear that the IIU is operating in a very problematic and blatantly racist way. There's no way with the majority of investigations, charges being laid and references from, from police chiefs coming from the RCMP that the majority of the cases charged that year were from the RCMP, when in reality, the RCMP had the same amount of cases that went to final charges as the MFNPS. It's very clear that the IIU is operating with the same bias that the police themselves show towards Indigenous communities and peoples. So it's very clear, once again, that this board is not as civilian or as unbiased as they claim to be. I just wanted to take a minute to circle back to the fact that they do not deal with public complaints about police conduct or performance. And to me, this seems quite ridiculous. Um, And it made me think of Kevin Smith, who routinely harasses Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. He gets caught on video. He's had stories about him go viral to the point of being on TMZ multiple times. And it seems like people should be able to submit a complaint to this board if it was truly independent. But of course, it's not really, so they can't. All complaints are formally handled by Manitoba's Law Enforcement Review Agency, which is comprised of a commissioner who will screen. Oh. All public complaints that are submitted are formally handled by Manitoba's Law Enforcement Review Agency, which is also comprised of a commissioner, and he will screen who screens each complaint themselves and gets the final say. Um, they alone get to determine whether further action should be taken or not. And this review agency, like 
the L-E-R-A, the Lira, they have a budget of $655,000 each year, which to me is astronomical. Like this in itself to me is wild. And I don't understand why colonial systems love to create a singular person who has the only vote that truly matters. It doesn't make sense to me, like that centralized style of power, it doesn't work. And I don't get why they insist on doing it and like shoving it down everyone's throats, especially as it pertains to police matters. So there's just something that when I was looking and doing my research and looking through the IIU website and reading articles and all of those things, that just made me kind of stop and be like, what the fuck? Like what? So the IIU provides info sessions to WPS recruit classes and senior supervisors. And they did this in 2020 to educate those who were, quote, most affected by IIU investigations about its processes and mandates. I was like, what? I had to read that a couple times because I couldn't wrap my head around this concept. Like, so the IIU will literally set up classes for the WPS and essentially give them a full on breakdown of their processes and responsibilities, which to me just seems like they're giving an opportunity for officers to find loopholes in their processes and to be given information as soon as it becomes official, but may not have been released to the public as of yet. So now we're just going to get into some of the recent IIU dismissals, um, cases that they've decided to not pursue charges on and have decided to just kind of drop. I will leave links to articles that discuss more in depth kind of what goes on or what happened in these cases that I'm going to be talking about just because I am talking about them so briefly. So in 2019, a man named John died in an RCMP holding cell And he passed away right at the hands of the RCMP. Um, So he was initially arrested and taken in for public intoxication. And he died at 54 years old after being smothered to death in his cell. He was arrested on October 5th and was found in the early morning hours of October 6th. So the guards obviously were not monitoring properly and a video camera that was placed in the cell showed that John last moved at around 8.15 p.m. um, when a leg was placed across his neck and stayed there for about 40 minutes. The guards alleged that they were doing visual checks every 15 minutes, but that can't possibly be true because two different guards throughout the night said they did checks and didn't notice anything out of the normal. Uh, It's very likely they're just like, oh, yeah, he's drunk and he just passed out until a new guard came in and kind of checked and was like, what the heck? And found John dead in the cell at around 1.30 a.m. The IIU did their investigation and they're like, yeah, all of that happened. And then they first referred the case in their report to provincial prosecutors, but the provincial prosecutors didn't feel the need for any criminal charges to be laid, um, not even criminal negligence causing death. So it's not uncommon for intoxicated individuals to be taken into police custody, uh, taken into what they call the drunk tank, and then not even be monitored or checked on. And so they may be attacked by other people in the cell, by officers themselves, or they may even pass away as a byproduct of their intoxication, right? So sometimes if you are laying the wrong way, you can kind of choke if you're trying to throw up, things like that. But the IIU claimed that there was no way to prove that the leg on his neck choking him for 40 minutes 
was responsible for his death or if it was the intoxication or if it was his enlarged heart. Now, I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that had this man not been in jail with a leg on his neck for 40 minutes, he would have survived the night just fine, right? If he had been taken somewhere safe or if a family member had been called instead of automatically taking him to jail, his fate would have been extremely different and he would have still been alive to this day. The chief medical examiner says that John was moving around trying to get the leg off of his neck for about five minutes, like when they watched the video. Um, but then he stopped moving altogether, which makes it clear that there was an element related to asphyxia of some sort, which led to him being unresponsive and his subsequent death. Uh, they did not charge anybody and an inquest has yet to be called into his death and his son is publicly trying to seek justice for his father. So now we're going to move on to a, another recent IIU dismissal where a Winnipeg police officer was cleared by the IIU after a fatal car accident that happened in October of 2021 and resulted in the death of a woman who was struck during police pursuit. Now, two people actually died in this situation. Uh, the cops were doing a traffic stop and a car took off at a high speed. The car then spun out of control as a result of the chase, went over the divider, like the thing in the middle of the road. It hit another car, and the car who was hit by the high-speed driver had two people inside, both of whom passed away. The IIU says that based on evidence that evidence presented and their investigation, that there's no evidence to support finding any level of contribution led up to the result of the collision and the resulting deaths. They claim the only person responsible was the person who ran from the police. One of the, invest one of the officers who was a part of the chase refused to be interviewed for the IIU investigation. This one to me is especially messed up because if the police were never chasing that person, then they would have never been driving at such a high speed and then they would have never crashed and killed two people. So the next dismissal we're going to talk about was where an officer actually broke a man's ribs during a wellness check in Surrey, B, or BC, MB, Manitoba, um, in June of 2021. So the man was arrested, which, first of all, wellness checks, a hot mess, a hot mess, especially in Manitoba. I mean, everywhere, but especially in Manitoba. So the man was arrested on June 8th after police officers were called to his house for a wellness check. Um, the police talked to him and said that no offense had taken place. Um, but the man later complained to RCMP that his ribs were broken when the police had arrested him. So he hadn't initially said anything about it, which I wouldn't either. Like, I'm going to tell the people who just broke my ribs, hey, you broke my ribs. Like, they don't care. They probably just break another one. But the IIU said that there was no evidence to back up the claim that his ribs were broken and he wasn't injured to the IIU standard of a serious injury. He went there for a wellness check and ended up arresting the man. It's fair to assume that there was some sort of resistance because you went there to check on his well-being and you ended up arresting him. Like, he wasn't doing anything wrong. So in my opinion, it's super fair to assume that he didn't go willingly and... It's not 
unfair to assume that they did in fact break his ribs and he didn't feel comfortable to say anything to them so he said it to somebody else later on the next dismissal we're going to get into is the rcmp officer who had his ex-girlfriend now there were allegations that he had read his ex-girlfriend's text messages and had her followed Um, On December 26th of 2020, the officer was home alone with the child he had shared with the ex, and she was going out, so she left the iPad at home. About a month later, the officer confronted her about her dating someone else and told her that he had read the messages on her iPad, and he had actually asked someone how to use the Find My Friends function for him to be able to track her movements. The officer had provided specific dates and locations where she was, and he actually had others watch her or drive by and tell him when other cars were parked in her driveway or when she was seen out with somebody else. The officer was not interviewed in this investigation, and the information was actually revealed after the officer casually brought it up to a superior in a very nonchalant way. Um, It was clear he didn't felt as if he had done anything wrong. And the officer had actually told the supervisor that the ex had given him the password to the iPad so he could use it to play music for their son. He saw messages pop up, he claims, so then he went to read them. But I feel like he probably went snooping. Um, He then claims that he was advised by somebody else. And he that other person then told him that he could use the Find My Friends app to track his ex to wherever she was going the officer claimed he didn't ask the person who told him about the app to track or do anything the person was doing it on their own and simply reporting back to him because they wanted to but this doesn't really seem realistic to me it seems very much like he's a police officer so he asked someone to do this on his behalf so he wouldn't get in trouble if he got caught type thing The IIU decided not to press charges because they felt it was unlikely that he would be convicted. They said after considering all of the evidence that there was a reasonable doubt that the officer's alleged conduct could be proven beyond a reasonable doubt, but they said that some of his actions were criminal and some were not. The next dismissal involved a Winnipeg police officer who broke a woman's arm during arrest. And the IIU says excessive force was not used. The police were called about a familial disturbance on Forbes Road in Winnipeg. When officers showed up there, they said that there was a woman with a knife. But there have been plenty of incidences where police lie and say things like sticks, books, butter knives, or pens, vape pens, real pens, have been knives. And they use that as a justification to escalate and cause unnecessary harm. And when they broke her arm... This was considered a serious injury, so the IIU was automatically notified, but they said the person who carried out the arrest didn't do anything unnecessary. But to me, it seems very unnecessary to break someone's arm during an arrest. And the last dismissal we're going to talk about briefly was when uh, Winnipeg police officers shot at an allegedly stolen vehicle, and they shot the driver of the vehicle in 2019. Officers were chasing what they believed to be a stolen car, and they shot more than once in an attempt to stop the car, but it didn't work. The driver took off out of the car, and the car was later found abandoned. 
But because they shot them, they found their DNA, right, that was left in the blood from the car. And they were able to locate the person who at that point had already made their way to Calgary and was just kind of living their best life. Um, The DNA test took about a year to come back. And so the person was living free as if none of this had ever happened. The IIU didn't press charges and they actually referred their findings to provincial prosecutors who said not to press charges because it wasn't likely to get a conviction. The IIU has also failed to publicly name and charge any of the officers responsible for the murder at the hands of the Winnipeg Police Service for Mashar Madut, Aisha Hudson, Jason Collins, Kevin Stewart Andrews, amongst many others. Now, I don't know if you went and listened to the episode that I did about the Crystal Tamman case, but you should definitely go and listen to that if you haven't. Uh, But in that, we talked about kind of her husband and her husband's role in the creation of the IIU and he even after it was coming to conception he had to step down from it because he didn't realistically think it was going to work he didn't think it was possible for police to be responsible for policing other police um and if he's saying that as someone who is like a victim of his wife passing due to police negligence and police irresponsibility and then had to fight for literally any sort of conviction like I think it's fair to say that the IIU should not have been a thing in the first place because you had from its its inception people telling you it's not going to work and it's continued to only not work and not do anything effective but eat up money that could be better spent elsewhere. And we've now come to the part where I just wrap up everything with my thoughts and I have many thoughts Um, that I shared throughout but of course that I just want to summarize again at the end so basically I don't think the IIU does anything really to be honest Um, it seems and it appears as if they were implemented and created just so people could stop having their complaints about police seen as valid by Manitoban justice system right they can just refer things to the IIU and if the IIU is like yeah no charges then they can just be like yeah we did all that we can when in reality they haven't done anything um in my opinion the IIU causes a lot of harm like more harm than the initial things that they're investigating and they literally serve no purpose especially since they are almost always ex-cops or have some sort of personal connection to cops or the justice system. You can't expect anyone with ties to police to be truly unbiased or to do anything objectively because they will always be on the side of the officers that they are supposed to be investigating and holding accountable, right? Like, there's no holding police officers accountable at this point, especially in Manitoba, especially in Winnipeg. They're able to just kind of do as they please, and everyone just kind of looks around like, who's going to do something about it? So to be honest, I think the IIU is pretty useless. Um, They might as well have just not implemented them in the first place, since it's literally just police monitoring police, And that's clearly super ineffective. It has been in the past and it'll only continue to be. Um, The IIU isn't even required to take over cases. They can just simply provide oversight. So that means that they, the ex-police, get to watch the current police investigate another current police officer, which is just like flawed. So in my humble opinion... I think the IIU should be defunded, disbanded, and abolished with the Winnipeg Police Service following suit not shortly thereafter. 
the Winnipeg police have shown time and time again they cannot be controlled, they cannot be held accountable, and they cannot be punished for any wrongdoing. So so attempting to create an overarching board to hold them accountable will be virtually impossible at this point, whether it's civilian, not civilian, there's just kind of, it's gone too far. The IAU causes way more harm than anything, and so I think it's best at this point to just get rid of them. Uh, they don't do anything but eat up more money and allow for more opportunities for harm to be created or to be caused, and they just protect cops. Like, that's all they do. They continually find reasons or loopholes to dismiss the charges or the harms that cops have created. And the way that the IIU is set up, it's to protect, not to hold anyone accountable. And so expecting anything different out of them would be foolish. They're doing exactly what they were created to do, which was be an extra layer of protection for cops throughout the province. I want to thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Girl You Haven't Heard, where we discussed the IIU, their responsibilities, how it's extremely flawed, their recent dismissals, and more. So yeah, thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you tomorrow.